when we sent that campaign to can our cco came back and said hey it seemed like all the judges every time i talked to them were saying we're tired of save the world commercials political idealistic commercials we just want to like give awards to good ads funny ads emotionally powerful can you say that the French yeah. said that? Well, not just Ken. That's the buzz going through the industry right now. All the judges were thinking the same thing. I, I think it's just we're coming upon a point where the pendulum is swinging and people are tired of the woke stuff. Back in bold. Oh, my goodness. I am getting way too Brazilian. Look at my outfit today. No fucks given. It's an afternoon on a Thursday. Sun is shining. And I'm sitting across from StreamYard with uh, the Mr. Mediterranean man, the Don Draper of the 21st century in style. He's got the retro shades on. He's a character that I've gotten to know. Uh, shit, I don't know when you came across uh, my stuff, but we've been back and forth, uh, did a couple different things. And um, I like how you think. You kind of test me on, on certain things, but I think we also share similar aesthetics when it comes to the lifestyle, the traveling, you know, normally the style. Today, I'm just freaking reckless with this stuff, but... Uh, You've had an interesting past, like I said, kind of like a little Don Draper action in New York City. You were living in Miami, um, you know, tall, handsome, dressed nice. I mean, what more do you need, right? Yeah, well, I appreciate it, man. Yeah, thanks for bringing me on. Uh, I think we came across each other probably about a year ago. I saw some of your stuff and I was like, who is this, this guy from Minnesota? little bit of a Minnesota accent, walking around Europe, walking around Southeast Asia, walking around in the favelas of Brazil. I was like, I want a little bit of that action. Got to have a little bit of that action. So, yeah, I was interested in the content and uh, it went just from there, I think. But, yeah, uh, so a little bit about me. I uh, live in New York City, lived in Miami, work in the advertising business, actually found out about the advertising business from the TV show Mad Men. I think I'm probably one of the first generations that's like saw that TV show and was like, wow, okay, this is the shit. So got to New York from that tropical paradise, which if you're living in a tropical paradise now, I don't rec recommend you move to New York City. You know, there's lots of zombies walking around the streets, but I'm loving it anyway. You made a good point. We were talking about this the other day about uh, the tropical paradise. You grew up near the beach, right? I mean, you lived in Miami. You obviously left Miami yeah. for New York City. Um, I was telling you, like, or I posted the story, like, thank God, you know, I'm eating this, these two meals, amazing meals for $15 at a hippie cafe in the afternoon, you know, near the beach. Like, I could imagine being in a skyscraper in Minneapolis, ordering DoorDash and, and listening to some fat, pink-haired HR lady you know, telling me that I need to go to diversity meetings and shit like that. And you're like, hey, what's wrong with uh, skyscrapers? And we kind of went back and forth, right? And yeah. uh, it was interesting, though, the point that uh, I was talking to you about was uh, <clears throat> it's weird, dude. When I'm not living near the beach, which is frequent, I'm usually by the beach, I crave it so much. I'm like, wow, I need to be back to the beach. You know, that's where I feel the best at, right? But then when you're living near the beach, you go in there once a week at the Thank most, you, you know, couple times a, a month, but I'll tell you what though, being just by it is I think what I need, you know, having the thing in my head where it's like, Oh, I can go take a beach day whenever I want. Or, you know, I can go see the sea and walk, uh, you know, on the, they have beautiful trails here or like on the beach. It's all naked beaches. They don't put any buildings on them. But um, yeah, well, we were kind of going in on that. What were we talking about? No. Yeah. It's like that, that Island time kind of mentality when you're near the beach, everyone just kind of slows down. 
it starts to, you know, you go to the grocery store and it closes at night. There's there's downsides. Right. But there's this relaxation that you just cannot get anywhere else in this lifestyle. Even if you're not at the like just at the pool, like right now I'm sitting here. I grew up in this little town called North Car- uh, in North Carolina called Wilmington. And uh, it's like a cute little beach town that's in tons of those Nicholas Spark rom-com movies. And uh, I, I'm sitting here. The beach is maybe five minutes away, but I barely ever go. You take, you grow up here, you take it for granted. My girlfriend, she's at the pool down the street. We got a little pool in the neighborhood. And I'm just visiting the folks right now. It's Yeah, you, you do take it for granted. I can't imagine, though, being in Brazil that there's a tons of like really nice pool hangout areas where you're at or is it kind of like a party lifestyle in the city you're in okay well first of all pool i've gotten really big into it now we were chatting about this now right yeah it's like you don't get all the sand you can hop in for 30 minutes relax on the sunbed and get back to to life you know a beach usually takes at least an hour two hours know what i mean like you got to be you got to go there you got to get back the sand the shower but no dude they're i mean people you can buy a pool here for you know couple thousand dollars usd at most with it installed which is insane prices you know come from usa like pool life is is huge here middle class people everyone has a a pool this compound this new compound i'm in right now it's not bad it's three bedrooms nowhere near the the last one i was in but uh they got a pool right yeah they they got up it's gated but they got a pool here but it's not like super fancy at all or and uh so it's pool is big around here but the place i'm in actually it's a million people you know, still got a lot of universities, but it's a retirement. A million town. people. Whoa, that's huge. Bro, Brazil is massive. There's there's 30 plus cities with a million people in Brazil. It's the capital of the state here where I'm at. But it's a retirement area and it's just the chillest vibes. A lot of things close at midnight. You know, they still have some clubs. And that's my vibe, though. I'm not uh, yeah. uh, out in the early morning. Like even in Europe, dude, I was rarely ever out past like two o'clock in the morning. I just don't like it. You know, I like a beautiful girl, the water. You know, some good music at home, cuddling. That's my vibe. See, that's that's what I wanted to ask you about, because, you know, you're, you're down there now and I'm sure you're loving it because you just said so. But I just spent uh, about a month and a half in France, didn't go to South France, didn't do the beach vibe. But you spent tons and tons of time in Europe. How do you think it compares with South America? I mean, do you think you're going to stay there indefinitely? You're thinking to go back? Yeah, good question. Well, first of all, too, that's what we uh our first little meeting too was about um, planning your Italian trip because you're going to do the whole uh, talented Mr. Ripley thing, right? Right. Yeah. Should we talk a little bit about that first? Well, I was going to say you said you wrote me a nice little review. You got some good uh, information from that or no? Absolutely. Yeah. So you know, I, I saw your content. And I was like, okay, I got to go to Europe, and it was right during the pandemic when you could kind of work remote or you could kind of because I was kind of in school and I was kind of working doing internships trying to get into the advertising business in New York which is hard to get into if you don't know the right people. So you got to go to these schools where like they're connected with people who actually work in the business. Anyway, uh, wanted to work remote and I saw yourself. I was like, okay, I could get a job. I could this job that pays amazing. I could let my lease go in my apartment and I could just go an Airbnb. And as long as I leave every 90 days from Europe, right? I can leave for 90 days. I can come there for 90 days. So you can theoretically spend six months a year in Europe as an American, which to me blew my mind. I was like, why don't more people do that? So, but I needed to know more about how do I avoid the touristy kind of locations and, and how do I not just go live in Venice for um, months, which apparently would be a huge mistake. And so, yeah, that call really helped me figure out where I want to go in Italy specifically. Uh, but I spent a lot of time in France, enjoyed that as well. I think Italy's coming next year. 
Yeah, there's nothing like Italy too. Um, you said what's the differences? Okay, um, I still think European summer is top notch, a hundred percent. Um, obviously safety is a lot better, but safety is overblown in Latin America. Like especially here, I feel like I'm back in Europe. Same with Florianapolis in Brazil. Totally yeah. felt like I was in Europe. I could do what I wanted, wear jewelry, be crazy, be stupid. Um, it's just a lot more civilized in Europe, to say the least. You know what I mean? And with civilization, though, comes maybe more stuck up people. So like in Brazil, people are super like, oh, boy, GI, beleza, you know, happy, great vibes. Like the, the, the Latino, Latin America uh, vibe is like unmatched. Like you, you'll never see more energetic people, which is crazy because all the bullshit that goes on here, you know, actually like living here on a Latin American salary would be insane. I don't know how people can do it, right? There's a lot of struggle down here. There's been a lot of bullshit, a lot of crime, a lot of killings. Um, I think it's got a mix to do with, uh, you know, before the conquistadors and like kind of the, the Aztecs were freaking barbarian. And then the conquest conquestors came in there and they all mixed. And I think everything, there's just weird shit and energy in Latin America. You know what I mean? A lot of like, uh, I don't know, spiritual stuff, right? But yeah. Europe is amazing. Look, I love it. Uh, obviously, things are starting to be a problem over there. I think they've been protected by the United States for super long. That's how they built such a carefree, don't work as much, but still get paid a decent amount of money, you know, lifestyle. They've been blessed, you know, especially after, you know, World War II. But um, it's funny because, you know, they're they're kind of I wouldn't say screwing things like screwing things up there. But, you know, they got Macron over there in France saying, hey, we want to get off off of U.S. dependency militarily. I'm like, look, guy. We bailed you out of two big ones. Don't make us have to do it again. You know, I feel like he's maybe not realizing what he's saying. Yeah, well, that's like French sentiment, too. Like a lot of Europeans are getting sick of Americans. Um, I think the Italians were super chill. Uh, obviously, I was there during the, the COVID right before and then the year after, too. So like maybe they were they were missing the Americans and the money that was coming in. But like, uh, you know, the French, they don't want to speak English to you, you know. Um, you, know, you know, it's funny because uh, I, had, I had a pretty different experience because my girlfriend's French. And uh, when I went over there, everyone was super, super nice. But I was in northern France. Right. So northern. It's so weird. That, you know, there's three different Frances. There's Paris, there's southern France and there's northern France. And the northern France is what they consider to be called the plukes. Right. They're kind of like the some people call them the rednecks, but that's not really what it is. It's much more down to earth. I'd call it more traditional culture. I've been told there's three different styles of culture, right? You've got the honor culture. You've got the um, like the old school traditional culture. and You've got modern like American culture, right? Or the, and it all kind of goes into the dating sphere as well. And I find that in northern France, they love Americans. I think that has something to do with World War II. For instance, my, my uh, girlfriend's father, he does World War II reenactments every year at at the beaches of Normandy. So he'll dress up like an American soldier. He's got a wheelie's Jeep and he'll drive out there. So they have a massive respect for Americans there based off of the history. But I think the Parisians, you know, they have that whole je ne sais quoi. Uh, we don't like Americans because they come to our city and treat it like a playground, which I totally get. I did not find Paris anywhere near as interesting as I thought it would, as I, as I thought it would. But uh, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on Paris. You've been a few times, right? Yeah. So like, first of all, um, I didn't, I don't think the French or the Paris people think that the Americans come there and do the playground thing. I mean, there's a lot of other uh, countries that would agree with that or cities for sure. But I think I'm the sorry, Paris people, I think the Paris people are just really arrogant, which I kind of respect. Like they're like, okay, yeah. 
you know, French culture, the language of love and our food and, you know, our style and, you know, lingua franca, and they, they still live in the past and the history and, and so forth. And I think, you know, when you meet French people, especially traveling, most of them are from Paris, right? So you get that stereotype and you get that kind of like, okay, fuck you, dude. Like, come on, like the, the French, the French dynasty shit ended after Napoleon, basically. So like, you know, chill out, which I can't wait for that movie. I'm so excited for that Napoleon movie. That's I love Napoleon. But Napoleon is Italian. Napoleon comes from a wealthy Corsic Corsic family that like has Italian blood through and through. So that's they, they take credit for Napoleon, which is crazy. But anyways, um, I didn't know that actually. Really? No, I, I I've been uh, Paris and Marseille because I've actually never been too interested in uh, seeing most of France, which I will someday. But um, only Paris and Marseille. But I spent a couple weeks in uh, Marseille and like five days in in Paris. But I saw everything in Paris. I was going crazy. Every little tourist thing, Napoleon's tomb, which I love, but I was going every Maloon, Roge. I tried doing every touristic thing when I was there, right? Notre Dame. I was in Notre Dame before the fire. That was fucking crazy. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Looks like shit now. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know. I just, I've never been, I think the French have the similar kind of moxie, arrogant attitude as, you know, some Americans. They look down upon people. And I think uh, that kind of like battles with me. Similar with the Chinese, bro. When I see the, the Chinese, oh my God, they think they're the king shit now. And it's, what? That's really? tough for me to be around. Oh, yeah. that surprises me. I would have thought it'd been totally opposite. No, bro. Well, I mean, I, my last experience was in Cambodia and it was bad, dude. Like these, really? they treat the Cambodians like they're freaking dirt. Um, in Italy, you know, they go to Florence and, uh, you know, Roma and Venice and go right down to the main shopping streets and have like 30 bags on them taking photos. And they're the worst tourists, too. Like they have 30 people in a group. They don't look for no traffic. They all taking photos. Anyways, whole different, different rant. But, um, no, I, I think uh, I'm going to definitely see more of France, like uh, the South Riviera. Marseille was amazing. Like there's one part of Marseille that was like Africa. The other part was like, you know, yeah. old school royalty, amazing, you know, beauty and shit. And, you yeah. know, uh, it, it was a good state too. They had a different, they had a cool vibe, but I did a post about that recently where I'm like, look at all this amazingness from the past to Marseille. And now look what you guys have done with the graffiti, with the dirty streets, with the piss everywhere, with yeah. the gangs running it. And I'm like, that, think- that depresses me. You, you, you really hit the nail on the head. I think you saw on your post recently that you were saying Europe is becoming a museum. And it really is. It, speak, a lot of if you see what's going on in France right now where the riots, they're destroying everything, burning down the stores. They're basically having what we had with Black Lives Matter like two years ago going on right now. All because that, that kid got killed who was running from the police. I mean, regardless of what you think of the situation, the the cops are not handling it well over there. And I think it has something to do with the rule of law it means basically nothing there. Like if you if you kill someone in self-defense, it doesn't matter. Uh, it, it's really interesting. And it's it kind of permeates into different aspects of culture. Like I, one thing I noticed when I was there is that there's no air conditioning anywhere. And maybe that's just because I'm an American who grew up with central air. I, mean, I live in New York City now. Everyone has air in the window. But it was 95 degrees outside in june and i'm sitting there in the apartment we're staying in uh, my girlfriend's friend's apartment in paris all the windows open and you know in paris all the buildings are the same height and so there's no because in new york you got the buildings kind of high so there's a little bit of undulation with the wind no wind in these buildings and this girl says yeah i have a little fan you guys can use the fan was this this big so i'm dying in here i can't even sleep 95 degrees humid as hell And she goes, oh, well, it's only hot like this week. And I'm thinking, is it going to get cooler in July or August? Doesn't make any sense. I think they're just so used to living 
like it's a hundred years ago, but then they have not a lot of economic like power behind the smaller parts of France. I mean, Paris is huge when it, especially in my business with marketing. In fact, the company I work for is based in France and they have their own way of doing business and their own way of like not sugarcoating anything. If you know what I mean? Their, uh, their way of giving feedback is like, it sucks instead of, Hey, you know what? Here's how you could do this differently. So I definitely find a little bit of a culture clash there, but they really need to figure out how to handle their freaking people. They can't do it. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of what I was getting to right when we started this thing about, um, uh, the, the modernism or the French, uh, like, uh, guilt, shame for the colonialism, the ancestry. Like, I feel that all over Europe, especially Western Europe is like, uh, you know, oh no, we need to, to save the climate. So no AC, we can't adapt to that. We need to stop eating our, our normal food. Uh, no French pride is bad. This and that. And it's just, it's gotten bad. And I, I worry about it because, you know, obviously with the immigration and, and all that kind of stuff flooding in there and look what's happening. I mean, we saw it with Sweden. You know, everyone and their mother was going to predict what was going to happen. I remember being in Denmark in 2019, living in Denmark. And uh, I'm like, you guys, like, it doesn't look like they're assimilating over here. Like, the, you know, these refugees, you can't say that. That's the worst thing ever. Well, then, you know, now they're starting to kick them out because it didn't work out. Their, their plan, you know, they came here, they have all these different benefits and the cultures just weren't meshing. And in Sweden, it was getting freaking bananas. And I think Sweden might be, you know, over. I think uh, the new generation is like 50% non-Swedes, right? demographics you know is, is is what matters right and who's going to hold the power and, and so forth and but i think that's like europe's thing i think they've been so cuddled by the usa for protection the last you know seven years because yeah. they were fighting for history right and the usa kind of just took them over as a client state you know protected them get their little sweet welfare programs or six six weeks of vacation you know chill out yeah. and i think they got soft really they soft so soft so true yeah, it, it, they, it's part, they say it's part of their culture, but the truth is they're just never used to working. I mean, I live in New York City. Everyone works like a dog all the time. And I understand that whole let's go have a cocktail um, at you know 7 p.m. after work. I, I love that vibe. That, that was honestly the most rewarding part of being in Europe is that in the evenings they live and they have dinner and they drink. Whereas in New York, you know, you might do that, but it's not an everyday occurrence, this aperitif drink. Right. So it's, it's that aspect that I, I think they need to somehow protect and save, but they, they've been coddled, like, like you said, by the United States so long and different powers and NATO's working. And obviously it's caused a few conflicts lately, but if they can figure out specifically how to get rid of the socialist ideas, which are so ingrained in their culture, they're kind of like altruistic, let's worry about others more than ourselves. Because what makes America great is this independent, this individualistic society, which is being eroded somewhat. And Europe has lost all ideas of that. If they could get back to that. Well, I, mean, I think they, they could. They could. And the, and the enlightenment, these ideas were, they, they were founded in Europe and, and they're completely gone now. I think the whole mindset and whatnot came because for so long they were the top dogs of the world, right? And they were extracting every resource and everything from everyone else and everyone was living like shit compared to them. And they just kind of sat on their, you know, high heels. And obviously the wars devastated a shit ton of stuff, right? And, you know, the wars are killing a lot of the men, right? Which obviously has an effect on different things. And, and then when I think, you know, USA for good and for bad, obviously good for me, you know, took control of basically everything with the military. I mean, Germany's got like 
they have reported like 50 military bases in Germany, but they say there's like 200 U.S. military bases like alone. Right. And Germany yeah. basically runs the EU. So, I mean, who do you think runs Germany? That's an occupied state by the United States of America. Right. Yeah. So I think. I don't know. These issues are scary, but I think Poland is up on the coming for sure. Like they're talking about Poland might be the next Germany. All these new news articles are coming out. I saw it firsthand. Warsaw has developed insanely. Um, I love Poland's strength. I hope they don't yeah. you know, buy into the whole EU kind of agenda. But whatever's going to happen is going to happen. I just I wouldn't mind if the EU collapsed, the Schengen zone and all that collapse because it would make my life a lot easier traveling out there and you know, going between different countries. And I think things would be a lot cheaper because they couldn't uh, bind together as an economy. But I worry because I think uh, like the Italian uh, immigration crisis was brutal, obviously the Swedish one. And yeah. you know, we're going to see if it turns into a museum or if it's going to turn into like when the barbarians came and uh, took over the Western Roman Empire. Because that's what I think is about yeah. to happen. Like similar to Brazil, bro, there's so much beautiful Portuguese stuff here. And then you see these buildings in like Salvador, total disarray, right? They've kept some of them decent. And it's just like, yeah. damn, this city 300 years ago must have been a freaking movie. And now it's like, you know, this 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 is scary, right? This is yeah. fucked up. And I think that's probably, you know, where Europe is 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 headed. So a little a little bit on that. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on why Poland is up and coming now. Is it because of economic reasons? Like they're they're opening up their economy more free market principles, or is it just the people themselves? What's behind it? Yeah, well, I mean, the, the the West started outsourcing a lot of the jobs and whatnot, the tech to the to the East because it was cheaper. Um, Poland really gravitates towards the USA relating to like a lot of the good parts and now right. some of the bad parts. But uh, like they, you know, they, they hate the Russians. Right. So underneath the Soviet Union, USA was the ultimate like, you know, the the angel was USA and the devil was on their shoulder with with uh, Russia. Right. So they look at like the capitalism, the that kind of philosophy is like, this is where we need to go. They're hardworking. I mean, Slavic nature, like they put their head down, you know, they're not going to bitch and cry and moan too much. And um, I think uh, their population has a big factor, you know, 40 some million people and a lot of Whoa. the same cult wow. culture. Yeah. Culture, ethics, morals. Of course, it's homogeneous, homogeneous type society besides all the Ukrainians that just came in there, but they're kind of similar, but they've had a rough past. Um, I just think Poland, all the cheap labor and whatnot got outsourced there and they took it and then ran with it. And now they've started to get really good with the tech and, and everyone's starting to find out it's nice to live over there. It's fucking probably the safest place in Europe. <laughs> Even consider I lived in Denmark, I think Poland's safer. So there's just a lot of pros going on that uh, the, the meme is that you're going to start seeing British uh, plumbers in Warsaw because there used to be like a funny thing, uh, the, the Polish plumbers in London. And now a lot of British expats are moving there and, and enjoying oh. it. So. <laughs> Yeah, the script has flipped. I actually, um, you've been to London, right? I've never have. And I don't have any, like, inclined to do it. I, I, okay, so I don't know what the reputation is in your, in your circle of London, but I went for the first time three weeks ago. And I absolutely loved it. I, in fact, I think I loved it more than I love New York City. And I really love New York City. I mean, the skyline of New York City is one of the greatest achievements of, like, humans ever. But... The lifestyle, just walking around Soho, walking around Mayfair, where you had that whole like aperitif lifestyle of let's have a drink after work. That was so ingrained. The weather was beautiful, which the whole time I was there was beautiful. It was probably, I should caveat, London weather sucks, right? But I felt safe. There was no zombies on the subway, or I guess they call it the tube. There was no, uh, there was no sketch anything. And I went to a lot of different areas. I would recommend you go because 
I know there's a lot of like watch theft and stuff going on there as well, which I, I had a friend of mine who was in London who had his watch stolen, but he had like one of these blingy Rolexes and I'm like, okay, dude, that's don't wear that in London. And I hate that you, you can't wear what you want, but at the same time, you got to be smart about it. See, I would recommend go check it out. I loved it to death. No, I definitely will. I've always been just like interested in non-English speaking countries. I don't know. I think feel more immersed when I'm in that uh, kind of environment. Everything is new and fresh and no pattern recognition. But I mean, for, for you, sure, it's I'm not going to be exotic. I get that. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of like that feeling. Just something like completely shocking. Right. So it just wakes me up from any sort of routine autopilot type uh, type atmosphere. But architecture you brought up the new york skyline we've kind of had our little you know battles about architecture so that's like your kind of hobby that kind of because you're marketing but you like the the buildings and shit or what well, I, yeah i kind of have two passions you know it's the advertising you know the beautiful commercials and then i really love architecture so on the side i design skyscrapers houses and all anything that can be built basically i, I just really love creating like new kinds of buildings and i think we've had this discussion in the past of you know, classical architecture versus modern architecture and the faults of both. And there's a really great book on this I'd recommend to all of your readers called The Fountainhead by Ayn Rand. I'm a huge fan of Ayn Rand, one of the greatest authors, authors of all time, actually. Uh, she was kind of like a philosopher. But long story short, this book is kind of about creative integrity, which is big to me because I'm a creative person who does architecture and advertising. And when you're making something like architecture, you want it to be original and accomplish a particular goal in a like objectively good right so that's kind of comes back to that argument of classical architecture I, I don't necessarily think it's a good idea although i do love and find classical architecture of europe and different places to be beautiful i don't think we should just keep repeating the masters of the past i think we should set out and do buildings which are innovative and come from some of our greatest minds that have yet to actually build anything right like i, I ran into an architect uh, friend of mine who uh, is kind of building these Art Deco style buildings, but not not in the traditional Art Deco style in New York. Uh, it's almost like a clash between Ionic Greek and Art Deco. And it's, it just seems horrible to me. I don't see why you would copy someone's work and then do it on your own. But we see, can that, definitely- that's, that's the part, that's the part, okay, so like what you said. So the people that build all the shit that I like, like I like that Mediterranean colonialism, the pastel, like, you know, that beautiful vibe, but that is, right. that's what I, that's what I want. But mm -hmm. those people, they created it themselves. They didn't right. copy the fucking, you know, they had some elements, maybe the Romans or, you know, pieces in the past the Renaissance, all that kind of shit, but they kind of created their own little vibe. So I, I agree with you on that. It's like, okay, we need to, you know, take it to the next level. But yeah. the whole thing is like, you see it all the time on these Twitter and, and Instagram things. It's like, you know, then versus now, like, why did we reverse and go fucking ugly? And oh, but it's more efficient and the electricity and this kind of shit. And, but it's fucking ugly. I don't want to live there. It looks stupid. Right. right. So that's like the whole kind of critique on on that end. And hold on, before you get in that point, mm -hmm. wasn't Aaron Rand, OK, the, the famous libertarian, wasn't she just a freeloader? All the stuff about her. Wasn't she uh, taking shit from the government and just writing all this shit? Just a hypocrite or what? No, I, I don't know that there's any merit to those claims. Uh, taking shots already on Ayn Rand, my favorite. Um, Look at my lifestyle. You don't think I embody a lot of her principles, but I, I, I heard a lot about her. She was more like, yeah, no, I, I don't think there's any merit to any of any of that. Um, yeah, but she she was she was an incredible individual, someone who who had probably the best philosophy 
ever devised by man and put it into a, a, like a story and told her idea of what life on earth should be through the narrative of a novel, several novels actually. And uh, it literally has changed my life. I would definitely recommend anybody who is interested in philosophy to go or just like a really good story about creative integrity or, or man's purpose on this earth. Yeah, why don't you change your life? What's the main yeah. principles? Why don't you change it? Yeah, and the, the books would be Atlas Shrugged and The Fountainhead, for sure. No, but how'd she change it? Like, oh, how'd she exactly... change it? That's a long discussion. Uh, I, I would say that one of the things is it changed my idea of what the purpose of life is and how happiness should be man's foremost goal and that productive ability and integrity is some of the most important tools in order to get you there. And there's a lot more to it than that. But I could basically say that if you're someone who feels like this whole idea of, oh, uh, my life is not as important as helping other people or, or uh, the ideas of altruism don't seem to jibe with you and, and you are looking for more of an individual individualistic philosophy about looking out for yourself, but also looking out for the ones you love, I would check out what I'm talking about for sure. Yeah. Give me some practical examples. I mean, yeah. I think a lot of the principles of, uh, uh, Rand, uh, go in one of my favorite books, uh, how I found freedom in an unfree world by Harry Brown. I recommend I everyone. It out. Yeah. It's freaking amazing. It's basically, you know, the famous, the book that got really famous, uh, recently was it how to not give an F word or the Mark Manson book. It was making it's not a art of right? not giving a fuck. Yeah, I think he basically took all the ideas from it and made it like stupid, simple, and not as great. So it's basically that book on steroids, um, yeah, How I Found Freedom in Unfree World. But yeah, give me so this philosophy from uh, Anne Rand, like what's the individualistic, you know, practicality of it or, you know, pinpoint it in, in real life? Right. So, I mean, it's a philosophy to guide all, all, all principles in life, right? So I couldn't... I couldn't really sum it up really well in this one little discussion, but a one practical example is that, uh, you know, a lot of people worry about what other people think. And I, I can try to dumb this down a little bit, like just the idea that you kind of feel like you're living for other people. Maybe you have expectations in your life that are, well, my father wants me to be a doctor. Or my mother wants me to be this, or people expect this particular thing of me or, or, and I have to sacrifice my happiness for others because that's, that's the ideal. Uh, it really sets you on a goal of, listen, this is what I want in life. I don't care if other people are going to try to stop me. I've rationally decided for myself what is the goal of my life, and I go for it no matter what anybody thinks. That's probably a very good way of summing up one principle of, of I guess you would call it objectivism, which is the philosophy she preaches. Okay, what if that goal that you were so sure on starts slowly like, oh, maybe this isn't everything I expected it to be. Is there like a cognitive dissonance? Is your whole world crumble around you? Or like, is it just go full blast? And if it doesn't work out, okay, I learned lessons and I parlayed into something else. And like, or, or what is kind of the end goal with it? As in, you know, I mean, not everything people want is what they really want. I mean, what is, what's the famous yeah. quote? Uh, Be careful what you wish for. You know what I mean? So if you're like a, a Gordon Gecko type, like just ruthless, you know, which I love Gecko, you know, take over capitalistic, uh, basically a vulture, you know, doing all that. And is yeah. that, is that uh, healthy in her mind or what? So, yeah, that's interesting because the character of Gordon Gecko is is a conundrum. He, he, if you actually listen to the speech, you know, he says greed is good, which that statement in that whole entire speech is so true. Like I'm a capitalist. I believe in complete free 
laissez-faire economic systems, right? And that speech he gives, everything he says is 100% true. Greed is good, for lack of a better term, meaning that self-interest is the most important ideal that we can try to aspire to. But if you watch the film, right after that, it's come fly with me, or it's, it's the Frank Sinatra song that basically says, listen, everything I said is horseshit. I really don't care. I'm just into exploiting people. And Rand would argue differently. She would say that the guiding principle that you should enact your life by is reason. And if you actually re used reason to understand, okay, how is the best way to live my life? It's not exploiting people because, you know, she would say in the, and I would say in the end, exploiting people doesn't really bring you true happiness, right? It's, it's the people that lie and cheat and steal. And, and I wouldn't say Gordon Kecko lie and cheated and stealed. He did lie, especially to uh, Bud Fox's character, um, uh, tore up his dad. Charlie Sheen's. Charlie yeah, Charlie Sheen, Sheen exactly. Martin yeah. Sheen was his dad, too. Yeah, Martin Sheen. Yeah, his dad and his dad. Um, yeah, that's a great movie that's horrible at the same time. You know, uh, the director of that movie is kind of a Marxist in himself. Uh, but, yeah, I, I would say that, yes, is about self-interest, but only in the sense of not exploiting others because rationally that's a bad decision to make in the long run. Right. Like honesty is always going to win in the end. And if you're trying to avert that particular principle, it's it's just not going to work for you. 100 percent. Yeah. Who was that freaking? It wasn't Stone, was it? Oliver Stone. Yeah, Oliver Stone. Yeah, yeah. Stone. He's a character. Yeah. yeah a lot of good movies, though. He's a good director. I mean, politically, I, I completely disagree with him. But yeah, like Wall Street is a fun movie to watch. And, you know, one thing that I hate about a lot of those finance movies is they always portray the guy to be like some, I don't care what, you know, what, what happens to people. I'll just fuck them and, you know, they'll figure it out. And it's not true because there's so many amazing individuals in finance that create so much value for the world. I mean, there's a reason there's so much money in that industry. It's literally the business of money. And for instance, like everyone's retirement accounts and everyone's investments for the rest of their life are supported by these like intelligent individuals. I'm not in finance because I think it's fucking boring, but I would endeavor for someone to make an interesting movie painting somebody in that business as like a hero. Yeah. I just think uh, when you get caught with the, all the shit in your hand, like for the big short or the people with the, the yeah. securities, like, then all your envision of every business person is terrible. Cause I guess what, probably a lot of good business people were doing those same moves, but they didn't get caught with it at the end. You know what I mean? So it's just, it's a tricky, tricky game. And some people call them parasites. Some people call them this and that, but also, okay, these people are the ones that are putting money where their mouth is. They're making big moves, investments, taking on huge risk, going insane with the risk, you know? And so, no, that's a whole different topic. That speech is amazing though. Greed, uh, for the lack of a better word is, is good or, that, uh, that's a motivational speech for sure. It's just like, yo, let's go. Yeah. We got to move this. And I love how he calls out the the freaking losers on the board, like a hundred of them that don't do shit. Like they oh, yeah. papers and they're getting paid from the, so he got the whole, um, everyone that owns stock, you know, the stockholders on his side during that thing. Yeah. They're like, yeah, fuck all these guys. Like, yeah, you're the man. And then in the end, you know, he screwed them worse than the people on the board. But anyways. Yeah. That's, and that's, there you go. That's lying. That's, that won't get you in. And where, where did he end up in the end? In jail. Right. Yeah. And that's maybe Oliver Stone saying, hey, listen, look at this free market run amok. That's horrible. But it, you got to take those movies with a grain of salt. Like, for instance, The Wolf of Wall Street, such a fucking entertaining movie to watch. 
but it paints this guy who was kind of a kind of an asshole, right? I mean, uh, Jordan Belfort, incredible salesman, but he was peddling penny stocks, which weren't worth a damn thing, really. And uh, but the movie was so well done, and it's got Leonardo DiCaprio, and it's it's obviously that movie that every twenty two year old dude is like, yeah, that's what I want to be, that guy. And it sucks because it's like, hey, you're aspiring to be a crook, you know, kind of. But it's the energy behind it that makes it so desirable. Like, for instance, uh, another great movie that a lot of people in New York obviously love and people everywhere is American Psycho. I mean, this Christian Bale character, that movie specifically is like a, a an analyzation of the male psyche, I think. And what I think a lot of people... And this talks a lot. I guess this goes a little bit into what Rand talks about with individualism versus collectivism. Uh, he's like this guy who has basically no personality because he just says whatever's on the like the back of the CD or whatever they said in the New York Times. But then deep down, he's like this guy who does not give a shit and has no sympathy. And it's funny because he's a horrible person. Right. But he's hilarious. And everyone kind of wants a little bit of that like boss energy that he brings is like Patrick Bateman vibe. And it's all these movies are very, very similar in that way. These like finance New York movies. Dark triad people. Yeah, exactly. Dark triad people. I was looking for that word. Thank you. These dark triad individuals who are, are incredibly interesting and kind of there's an element to them that you want to try to get to. But then there's an element that you want to try to, I think, leave behind. Like, for instance, going back to Mad Men and Madison Avenue, like Don Draper. I was inspired by Don Draper because I thought he was a creative genius. Not only is he like this, it's good looking dude. All the ladies love him. He's got an amazing career. He's rich. He lives in New York city. Uh, he's, he's like a regular person and he has all these flaws, right? And he's actually kind of this dark triad kind of individual in his own, but there's some element of him. And this probably because the show was so well done. That is interesting. And I think a lot of dudes, maybe around our age or dudes of all ages resonate with some kind of loneliness that he particularly has. Cause I think a lot of men feel that way. Uh, and maybe that's what caught my eye, not the loneliness, but the, the whole, like I'm the James Bond cool character guy who has this creative passion. But uh, it's funny cause Madison Avenue is not like that at all anymore. We could talk about that, but. Okay. Lots of points here. Um, yeah. I think these type of characters um, they either go out like the top dog, like a Caesar, like a Napoleon now, you know, they're making the beautiful movie about him, like a fucking Alexander the Great, or they go down in flames and they're the worst evilest people in the world. There's not much difference between Hitler and Napoleon, okay? If people want to look at that aspect, you can go look at that aspect, but yeah. one is regarded as, you know, oh, the guy that brought, you know, these beautiful ideas and liberation, he came from nothing, and, you know, he... Uh, you know, that's basically Hitler, too. But, uh, you know, and, uh, Napoleon came from a way better background than what the painter did. But uh, like Caesar, Alexander the Great, if they failed. The you just call Hitler the painter. Yeah. If they, if they <laughs> failed, if those dudes failed, yeah, they would be worse than Hitler. Dude, Caesar exterminated like three million Gauls. You know what I mean? He enslaved yeah. more people than anyone. Like he broke up the freaking greatest republic in the history of the world, the Roman Republic, and created yeah. empire out of it. Right. He's a tyrant. Caesar's a tyrant, but no, he's God. We named all our emperors, our kings after him for thousands of years after, you know, yeah. our governments, a lot of them are modified out of this. You know what I mean? So it's like, 
the rabbit hole is deep. So like, can you take those characteristics and hopefully they lead to some beauty at the end or do you self-destruct? And I know about that dark triad shit, like the, the rabbit hole, yeah. the most successful times I've been with a woman is when I've been my total worst, total yuck that I feel disgusting about it after, like not treating people good. And that has been the most, uh, you know, in quotation, successful I've been with women. So like, the, the theory of this and why dudes gravitated, well, of course, like, you know, especially young dudes, which is funny how Hollywood promotes these films because usually they're the exact opposite mindset and they try to like say like a lesson at the end, like, oh, they go to the jail, but all the kids are like, oh, I want to be like that. So many dudes wanted to make money in stock and all that after watching the, the new Wall Street movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, they said like uh, everyone started dressing like Gordon Gecko on uh, uh, Wall Street after the movie. Uh, he dresses like, killer. I, mean, I don't blame him. It's awesome. Yeah, he's got awesome. amazing style, yeah. right? So it's funny how they promote it, but you know they're really just like influencing all the young kids and and, and so forth. So yeah, but going into yeah that that topic with the Madman and that's a great character, bro. I love that show. It's probably oh. top three for me for sure. Um, yeah. But what it, resonated it, it, with me? Huh? God. God. What re what resonated me with me with Madman was just like. This dude is so badass, you know, he's got the woman, he smokes and drinks, does whatever he wants, he's always dressed nice, he's always says the right thing, like he can come on on the spot with the most beautiful thing. But then, yeah, as you watch the show, like by then you're like, holy shit, this dude is fucking miserable. Like this does not look, you know, happy at all. And I think when you taste yeah. some of that lifestyle, like, you know, a lot of younger people like don't really see it, but when you taste some of that kind of womanizing, you know, badass vibe lifestyle you're like okay i can get why this is not what i wanted before you know what i mean like it's not that fulfilling at all yeah it's um i would recommend if any of your listeners have never seen mad men go check it out even if you have no interest in advertising you know it's funny that the show is theoretically about advertising and the 1960s in Manhattan. You know, it's funny when everyone always talks about the 60s, it's always like hippies, but this was the 60s for adults. Okay. So it's dudes in suits, smoking cigarettes and drinking whiskey in the office. And that's what the show's about. But it's really about a dude who is like kind of sad and lives this kind of horrible existence, even though he's kind of on top of the world. And the show is kind of his struggle to figure out what, what is he doing here? Like on earth, like what is his point? And uh, yeah, it, terrific show. I'd, I'd recommend checking it out. Yeah, it was amazing. I don't want to spoil spoil nothing for anyone that hasn't watched it, but I think I'm going to rewatch it too. I've watched it twice. But I need to rewatch it with my my lens now. It was uh, spectacular, and they didn't. Whoever that writer is, that dude, he didn't put no really political spin on there, any kind of stuff. Like you showed every side, and it was just it was beautifully. Really yeah. good. Amazing. Matthew um, Weiner. He was actually a writer on The Sopranos as well, which is why both those shows are terrific, I think. Yeah, Sopranos Unreal, The Wire, of course, too. Um, yeah. mm -hmm. So speaking of that, though, so you said uh, uh, the avenue is different now? It's not uh, as badass? You know, it's, the avenue is not even the avenue anymore. It's funny. Um, I, I came into that show thinking, oh, my God, I want to live this life. This is the coolest I want to wear a suit to work every day. I, I want to drink whiskey. I knew it wasn't really like that, but I, I had some idea that all the cool elements would somewhat still be there. And it's funny because Madison Avenue is not all the advertising agencies are not even on Madison Avenue anymore. It's kind of like Wall Street where all the banks aren't even on Wall Street anymore. It's kind of just like a destination to go to. Uh, and so all the agencies have really changed. Uh, it's the creative process is still the same, which is what I actually came to the business for. Uh, 
but the drinking and partying is still there. That's an interesting thing about it. It's maybe not as uh, glamorous as it was in the advertising business in the 60s. But there's a lot more politics involved in the advertising business these days. And that's one thing that's exciting is it's actually changing. So I just did a commercial with a brand, a coffee brand, where we had a guy. Uh, you know what a slack line is, Nick? A slack line like a tightrope, right? Yeah. This two hot air balloons with the slack line in between it. And this guy walks across and he's drinking a cup of coffee on it. And we we like crafted this thing beautifully with this amazing director who only makes slackline films. And it was mine and my partner's idea. And we sent that to Cannes Film Festival. And there was a charity angle to it because the whole idea is we had to get people to uh, buy the coffee to support children who uh, are going through cancer treatment. And it, it doesn't make sense when I'm explaining it to you, but when you watch it, it makes tons of sense, right? Well, we sent that to Cannes Film Festival, and Cannes Film Festival is the uh, like the biggest advertising. Well, there's the film festival, and then there's the advertising festival. And it's funny enough, the film festival is the first week, the advertising festival is, is the second week, and then the porn festival is the third week, and they give out porn awards. Uh, so we sent that, in, and it didn't win. Because I don't know if you've noticed, but in the advertising business, over the past five years, a lot of very political kind of preachy, uh, you, some would say woke kind of commercials have been made. For instance, if you look at Gillette's anti-masculinity ad, where they talk about toxic men and how men need to be better. And basically they're talking about razors, which is a product they sell to men and how men are horrible and you need to be better by buying our razors. It's like the most hypocritical uh, ad you could ever make did horribly. And you're looking at what happened with the Dylan Mulvaney Budweiser campaign where they I don't even. And here's the thing. A lot of people think, well, they knew what they were doing. They wanted to get this so they could get pressed. These people don't know what they're doing. Right. They just want to push their agenda. And if it gets a lot of blowback, they're like, well, you guys are just a bunch of bigots. And to be honest with the Dylan Mulvaney campaign, where the I don't know if your listeners are aware, but uh, Budweiser sent a bunch of their cans to Dylan Mulvaney, who was recently a trans woman or was a man and now is a woman. And uh, he was celebrating his one year of, of uh, being a woman. And they put her face on a can. And then they sent that out and it's being sold all around, all around the country. Well, tons of people freaked out because what's Bud, Wise, Bud, Bud Light's audience? It's young 25-year-old dudes who are at a fraternity or in college. Because let's be honest, it's a totally shit beer. It's horrible. And people buy it because it's cheap. And uh, I don't, can you hear that in the background, by the way? No, it's okay. And so everyone went all up in arms about this kind of like transgenderification of Bud, White or Bud Light, which is kind of like a man's man beer. And I get why they're upset, but at the same time, it's not that big of a deal. But the end result is that Budweiser, or excuse me, Bud Light sales have gone down 45% in the past six months. And that was happening before, but now it's happening even more. So the idea is that the like the woke kind of part of advertising is slowly dying, which is interesting because our campaign did not win. And the reason is because they're at a charity angle. You're asking a little loud. Is that is that bothering you? Is it train? Yeah, the no this guy over here. With a leaf blower. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, go in, you wanna go inside quick? Hold on, let me go inside. No, what I was going to say, too, is this what I wanted to get into as well, is um, 
the new age of marketing that you're seeing, obviously with the freaking get their instant dopamine going off two seconds. And like, I deal with it when I try to market my stuff and get it to a bigger audience and you have to play the game and do the trends. And I hate copying. I hate playing the algorithm game and not saying what you want to say. So you're thinking that it's starting to slowly kind of go back like the counterculture or whatnot is fighting it. I think people are just tired of it. Um, like for instance, when we sent that campaign to can, uh, our CCO came back and said, Hey, uh, it seemed like all the judges, every time I talked to them, were saying we're tired of like save the world commercials of political idealistic commercials. We just want to like give awards to good ads, funny ads, emotionally powerful. Kane said that? The French yeah. said that? Well, not just Ken. That's the buzz going through the industry right now. Like all the judges were thinking the same thing. I, I think it's just we're coming upon a point where the pendulum is swinging and people are tired of the woke stuff, which to me is great because regardless of what you on what side of the political spectrum you're on, it's nice to just be able to make ads that aren't controversial anymore. Right. And just like master your craft and not be this person who has to um, worry about uh, every little political thing that's happening and how we need to make a commercial about it. Like, for instance, PNG making commercial about how uh, certain people are oppressed. And then it's like, OK, I understand. But you sell Clorox like it, it seems so ingenuine when they say it. And it's like, guys. Stay in your lane. <laughs> Don't try to preach to the public when you sell Clorox or whatever you sell. Yeah, to me, and I've been saying it for a while, is the pendulum is going to swing. And that's why I'm just going to keep living my life and, and do it good. And whatever's going to happen is going to happen. And I can sit from over here and talk about it, but it's not going to you know mentally fuck me up or mess up my lifestyle. I definitely see it swinging with the whole like Elon Musk on Twitter. That dude tweets like 4chan memes. If you want to know what 4chan is, like Musk is like full blown on there and a ton of people agree with him. And obviously the Bud Light thing. And yeah, I think it's moving, of course. Um, what I wish I wish I would have done is not have a heart and I could have played both sides. There's a lot of people that could not give a fuck about any of this politics that were making so much money on both ends. Similar to like uh, who was the colonel with Elvis. I love Elvis and I hate Elvis pins. You know what oh, I mean? Wow. Like you selling both sides. And uh, uh, that's yeah. what I wish I would have done. I wish yeah. I would have done it during all this political election stuff. You know, the the the, the COVID shits. Like you could have literally made a fortune with how psychotic these people are. And I guarantee you a lot of the people that are pulling the strings, you know, like you said, you think Gillette really gives a fuck about this? No, they don't. They, yeah. they care about their bottom line. And they said, oh, this will help you out with a wider reach and you're more woke and whatnot. And obviously it didn't, but it's you just know, a stupid game. Gillette, Gillette doesn't really care. But, and I mean the, the top dogs, but who does care is the, the young hip, what they think they call hip, marketing directors that they hire who are like fresh blood. They're trying to bring in to change the brand. And they're like, this is what's popular. This is what you've got to do oh. now. And then they just trust these people, which I have no clue why, I guess, because they're young. It's funny, like what an older creative director will just let you do because you're young. Oh, you know, social media, just just do all that. And they just think that everybody knows. And uh, and so those people really do believe what they're preaching. Right. And so there's this conflict. In the, and those people that did that Budweiser campaign are gone. They are majorly gone. They're not in there anymore. And it's funny because. When that lady came on after the Dylan Mulvaney thing, she kind of preached like, 
oh, well, our customers, you know, they're bigots and they're this and that. And regardless of what you think about it, it's really not a good idea to talk crap to your customers, like ever, even if you don't think you know them. Yeah, I think uh, alienating your, your people who bought from you is not a, a great idea. And I got some questions here. Okay, so you gravitated towards these characters in the films. Yeah. Um, you said Mad Men obviously played, you know, Don Draper played a huge impact on you. You're in the industry. Uh, why? What were you like growing up? Were you kind of dorky or whatnot? And I don't know if you want to bring this up, but uh, the whole no. RSD thing. Yeah, I know. We can talk about that. Because it goes into this, it goes into this, the woke shit and then like dudes, right? Because we, I had a story recently about the hazing thing in Northwestern, yeah. about how they've infiltrated football and, you know, we need hazing, we need bullying, we need tough love because that's how a, a boy becomes a man. If they don't do it, they turn into like these advertiser directors that are fucking clueless about anything that's going on in this world. But uh, so, yeah, I'm kind of curious how you develop this persona and why you set your and ran reason to go the direction you're going yeah that's a good question so uh, no i wasn't necessarily a, a a nerd or anything growing up i just kind of a normal guy and uh i remember when i was about seven no okay i was 19 and i moved to a college to uh with my ex-girlfriend who was going to that school at the time and uh, she broke up with me and i was like devastated i had moved to a new city for this girl and it was, it was a total boneheaded move i had no idea and I came across these guys on social media, this guy named RSD Tyler, who was kind of like this guru of like, at the time it was pickup. Now it's more like general self-help. And he changed a lot of things for me. All the things he was talking about, specifically when it comes to the dating sphere, like, you know, I was always okay with women in my life. I had done well. And I mean, I'm a good looking guy, so I don't have to worry about it. But I had never really had ventured beyond the the average level of, I guess you could say, game, right? And so when I listened to his stuff, I, I practiced, I went out, I did approaches, I, you know, went out with my friends a lot more. And I, I learned a lot about like life through just doing game. And uh, one of the things that I learned is that if you're like growing up in a small town, I remember I was sitting listening to him one time and I'd since have, I'm actually friends with Tyler and I, I've talked to him several times in person and uh, I DM him on Instagram sometimes. Uh, and I, he just said, listen, if you are like living in a town that you grew up in, it's kind of small, just move to a new city. Just do it. Like, do not figure out what a job is. Just pick up and go. And I was thinking to myself, why did I never think of that? Am I an idiot? Like, I'm just sitting here in this town that I, I love this town, beautiful town. That I grew up in kind of town that people go, why would you ever leave? And I'm just like, oh my God, I am sheltered. And and you're trapped. You were trapped yeah, by everyone else's perception trapped. of you. And yeah. yeah, the expectation and what has come before. And I, I heard this statistic that uh, I don't, I'm probably going to butcher it, but it's around 60 to 70% of people die within 10 miles from where they're born, which to, I was like, that's terrifying. I don't want to be that guy. I want to travel and I want to see the world. And I think his teachings kind of made me become a more confident person in the fact that I actually built confidence through experience and not through just like psyching myself up like a lot of these motivational guys will go out there. And going out and talking to people that you don't know uh, in nightclubs and bars, these really hard environments to go talk to people, you're going to learn so much about yourself and so much about how to gain confidence through the trial and error of that experience. 
hundred percent. Cause you're literally throwing your ego totally out in front of everyone and usually gets destroyed when you first start doing it. Right. And you got to rebuild it up. And, uh, you know, I've seen the toughest dudes that can't go talk to a girl on the street, you know, can't, you know, make random conversation. They need social proof behind them. They need all these different things. What fascinates me about RSD is he made a great pivot before like, the Rouches and all those dudes uh, started getting attacked by the media in like 2016, 2015. Around the Trump era, these people started getting just attacked because a lot of them were very snaky, sneaky, right? And obviously, you know, people don't like when you're creating, you know, maybe a fake persona or exactly. making women think you're, yeah, when you're not uh, authentic and, and the woman sleeps with you. And like, I saw something about this fake Messier impersonator. He banged like 20 some girls. You know, because they thought he was mess messy, and oh. uh, now they want to put him in jail and shit. It's like oh that's God. human nature, bro. Like no one likes a fucking fraud, right? But RSD did a great job pivoting. But this goes too into all this stuff here about the woke and and whatnot. And my story is this red pill stuff has gotten huge. And I know you probably saw the start of Fresh and Fit in Miami. You know, I actually, those actually, dudes, know those guys. By the way, yeah, I, I've those dudes. Talks, yeah. But those I was dudes, obviously are super, you know, out there. I appreciate what they've done, you know, got the message out and whatnot, but let's not act like they're not, you know, in quotes, toxic. You know what I mean? Maybe not the healthiest form of, you know, dating women and, and, and yeah, so right. forth. And, but people, the kids, the young people are feeding for stuff like this because they haven't been taught like what a man is. And that's why maybe you watch Mad Men and you're like, oh my God, that is what a real man is. But, you know, yeah. that's not perfect, healthy masculinity. Look at him, he was miserable. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. We need the healthy shit, you know, but a lot of the toxic shit is good too, that a dude needs to go through or needs to feel to, to internalize it. So it's like, it's the principle of everyone these days. I feel like, and I had a conversation with some of my coworkers the other day. It's like kids are growing up so coddled these days. They're growing up where it's, it's not okay to hurt people's feelings. It's not okay to get in fights. You, you have to be nice to everyone and never try to offend anyone ever. And I'm thinking about when I was, when I was growing up, kids were insulting each other and kicking each other's ass. And maybe, maybe I think it's worse than it is. And maybe it's not that bad, but, and then I, I remember talking to my dad who I, I have the um, privilege of having a very strong male role model in my life, which I think a lot of young kids don't. And that's why they either grow up soft or they attach themselves to these strong male characters in film and television and such, unfortunately, mostly negative characters, but uh, yeah. Um, so, where was I going with that? <laughs> Point is, we need some healthy role models, but like, I don't want to right. just say that because that's a cop out because a lot of toxic masculinity is just masculinity, right? It's how you channel it, of course, yeah. but yeah. it's mm -hmm. masculinity is like conquering. Like, it's like there's a lot of, you know, like I said, Caesar, we idolize Caesar, and that dude exterminated three million gulls. He was a tyrant, he destroyed the Republic. You know, yep. he had as many slaves as you could ever imagine. And he's, we idolize him. So is, is that not masculinity, but it's toxic? Like, so the balance oh, is not, so fucked not, up it, and trippy. Yeah. It, it's like, what's moral and what's not? And if you got a really strong moral character that's like fucking a badass, yeah, there you go. There's your role model. Uh, it, but it's, it's like any role model. You take the good parts and you leave the bad parts. But I don't know whether everyone is smart enough to realize what the bad part is and what the good part is. I hope they are. But like, like we get back to um, we're talking about the strong role models and, and like kids growing up. I, I was in a fraternity and uh, I, there is a dark principle in, in I think this whole idea of like we need 
hazing and we need i think you do need kids growing up to where like it's okay to hurt people's feel like sticks and stones right like you can say mean things and, and kids need a little bit of that like guy on guy like uh picking and like a little bit of harassing but it can be negative at sometimes when i was in a fraternity i started a brand new fraternity so i i this girl broke out with me right and i discovered all this rsd stuff and then i was like you know what fuck it i'm gonna start a fraternity because all the guys on campus who get all the girls they have fraternities so i'm just gonna do that so within six months i had like 300 people showing up to parties uh who there was no alcohol or anything and they were interested in being in it because they didn't have to get hazed and they could just be in this fraternity and we had this kick-ass house it's funny because about three months into it, there were a lot of guys that said, you know what? I wonder what we're going to do to the next guys. Like, how are we going to haze them? What, what are we going to do? Like, what's the horrible thing? And I'm thinking to myself, well, you didn't get hazed. Why do you want to haze people? And I was like, you know what? Some people actually really do want to hurt people. And that's kind of who they are. And you have to really dig down to find out who that is. But like I said, there's a little bit of like brotherly teasing that needs to happen. Right. Well, here's the thing. So I've done the sports, right? And obviously yeah. you, they try to haze you or do different things and no one's ever fucking hazed me. I don't put up, I never put up with it. I think it's a person that puts up with it or allows it or gets humiliated by it that in turn is the person that does it to other people, right? Especially I've seen, I've met a lot of these frat dudes at parties and they're the short guy and the dorky guy and they, they can't yeah. wait to exert their power and you know they went through the shit so they can exert the power and I get the, the idea of initiation to uh, a club or a team or like a brotherhood because like in football, for example, like if I don't know, I need to know that you're going to give me everything you have, you know, possibly could die on the field in football, you know, yeah. before I go put my life on the line out there for you. Right. Because what happens if I go in a game? And, you know, the shit's getting down to the wire. Like, are you going to have my back? Like, I need to know you're going to make this block so I can sit in the pocket for an extra second and, and deliver this, uh, you know, this post route downfield to, to win the game, right? So you got to, like, test these people. This is what it's like to be a leader, right? I've got tested my whole fucking life, especially with going to different countries and playing uh, American football as a quarterback, right? They don't just say, okay, here's the keys to the, the Corvette, even though you're the only one getting paid, so they should. But, you know, just go take it however you want it. No, they got to make sure like, yo, does he or does he deserve the money? Does he deserve my 33 year old ass like lying up for him and putting my body on the line when my family's at home where I should be working? Does he deserve all this shit? They need to test you. Right. That is manhood. That is, you know, what it is. So for real, that's what I feel about hazing and like initiation and, and so forth. But me, I never put up with any of that shit. Like, if anyone tried that stuff, they did it when I was a freshman in high school. Like, they tried. I said, fuck you. Like you, we're going to fight before that happens. Right. And I did get in some fights and I took some bruises and whatnot, but they respect me for it. Yeah. I mean, you got to fucking man up. Like when it comes to sports is a really great way to like integrate. I'm, I'm That's the best. It's the best it, way. And they're it really, really is because you're, you've got a common vision and goal and you have to work together. And it's a physical sport, which men obviously love physicality. I, I fucking love sports when I grew up, but I remember, and this is one of the things it's all about character. You can have a good character when you're young and then get better or a bad character and get better. I remember when I was playing soccer and I was like maybe 12 years old and all my friends, when we would lose, would cry. And they'd be like, oh, we fucking lost. And I was thinking, well, you little bitches. I'm like 12. I'm thinking you guys, it's a fucking game. First of all, you need to play better. 
And second of all, don't cry when you lose. You're a little baby. And I remember anytime that would happen, their mom would cover. Oh, it's okay, little little Johnny. It's fine. And I was like, and these are my best friends. And I was immediately repulsed. I was like, you guys need to man the fuck up. It, like this. First of all, what happened to like sportsmanship? And what happened to being? T- I mean, I get we're twelve, but even at, even then, I think you should have that. Do you agree? Yeah, bro. You know, I've I've. Uh... I got, I'm a cancer. I have a lot of emotions, especially when I was young. I hate to lose. You know, I hate looking stupid, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And I remember that playing baseball when I was younger. Well, I think 11 years old, I was a really good player, you know, and I had like a, a, a bad uh, game. We had like a tournament that day. And um, my father was a head coach, right? Oh, wow. And that's that's, that's what and it, Yeah, he's always on my ass, right? But I think I fucking did something stupid or maybe started tearing up too. And he's like, really? Get the fuck out of here. I'm like, well, first of all, how am I going to get home or whatnot? And like, I'm starting to cry, right? I'm like starting to really cry now. But like, it wasn't like I was pouting. I wasn't just because I was doing bad. He's yelling at me. Like I was being a little bitch, right? He's like, no, get the fuck out of here. So I'm like, okay. So I leave my team. I'm humiliated, right? The assistant coach brings me back to my home. I'm bawling my fucking eyes out like, oh, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, obviously, you know, tough love, you know, get back on the train. Obviously, I became very good baseball player football. I still do it to this yeah. day, but I remember that like, you just fuck your soft shit. Oh, you struck out or you stopped doing bad. Like yeah. grab, like stop being a wimp. Like, why are you being so stupid like this? Like go home. Yeah. Right. And he needed I'm- to do that. And thank God he did it. You know, and everyone else, like, I think my grandparents were like, no, like you can't be so hard on him. Like, you know, all this kind of shit, but I'm very thankful he did it. I'm curious that when he did that, did he like come to you later that night and say, listen, son, I understand it's tough, but this is fucking why you got a man up. Did he say it like that or was it just no discussion after that? Well, no, I think um, we've had conversations in the past, like, you know, yeah. you know, mental toughness, you know, don't be a wimp, all that kind of stuff. But I don't remember the rest of that night. I think I might have cried in my room and I had my mom take me back to the to the third game or some shit like that. I forgot. But I just remember him being like, no, you ain't going to be a bitch on my watch, which was amazing. Yeah. So I, one, one thing I commend my father and when when I was growing up, if I ever did something wrong or I was maybe I being kind of a a wimp or something he would be tough with me but then later on there would be a discussion like it'd be a more soft discussion like listen son this is why it's happening and this is why this is the way it is like i mean sometimes he smacked the shit out of me like like i would say i'd talk back to him or something and uh i never felt like i was like fuck you because after the conversation i always realized he was right maybe years later i sometimes realized he was right yeah, you but, don't, don't necessarily think he's right in the moment, yeah. No, you, de- you definitely don't, especially when you're, you know, 16, 17, five years old, doesn't matter. Yeah, no, 100%. And um, I definitely think we need we need more of that. I think it's hard, too, as a parent, man. I mean, see your, yeah. your kid cry and then do that in front of everyone. Like, that takes a lot of, you know, stones to teach them a lesson and, and, and go for there. And that's what I worry about. I think I'm going to wait. I'm trying to wait till I'm 35 to have a kid, but – it's not going to be easy to be a parent, especially now in this world. Cause you, Oh fuck. If they would have done that. And I would have told my teacher like nowadays, if I went to class, Oh my God, call social services. Like yeah. it, it's his trauma is the rest of his life. He's fucked. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's funny what they think good parenting is these days. It's like coddle, coddle, coddle. It's my mother's a kindergarten teacher. And she talks all the time about how these kids, they just won't do what the teacher says because the parents don't discipline them and they just run around, they do whatever they want. And when she says, Hey, do this, you're like, Oh no, you're not the boss of me. And there's just no respect for authority at all. It's sad. 
So they want, baby. They want the government, the state, to to be the parent of the kid and create a bunch of stupid people, pay your taxes. I don't know, chaos. But uh, beautiful. I got to enjoy the rest of this Brazilian day. But I think we had a good little conversation. You enjoy it? Absolutely, my guy. Thanks for bringing me on. And you'll be in Italy soon. I'm gonna try to make it Italy. I want to go to uh, South France. So in September, I'm doing South of France. Uh, be like Marseille, Nice kind of area. And then I'll be doing Rome and probably Amalfi Coast. If you have any other, we already had this discussion, but if you have any other suggestions for the September, let me know. Yeah, I mean, September, you can stay inland in Italy and see all the beautiful stuff because it won't be too hot. In the summer, it's way too freaking hot, but it'll be a little hot in September in Rome. But the fall, early spring is the best to go to like the Florences, the Romes, the Milans, you know, anything that's not on the coast. In the summer, you need to be on the coast. Because it's too hot. Yeah. But we'll figure it out. I'll give you some uh, some good shit like last time and, and kumbaya. All right, Nick. Stay bold, my guy. Appreciate it, buddy. And right, everyone else, live bold.